Before we get to today's episode of the podcast, I want to give you a brief snippet of our Stay Forth story. Stay Forth Designs, we exist to help leaders get healthy and reach sustainable impact. We don't want you to burn out or flame out. In the meantime, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that we're crazy about leaders living and leading right side up. This world is upside down in so many ways. At the kingdom of God, there's this picture of leading right side up. What feels like upside down to have limits, to have boundaries, to have sustainable impact over the long haul without burning out, without flaming out, without having a moral failure of some kind. My friends, it is possible. And we work with leaders each week at Stay Forth who are on that path, who are getting healthy, who are overcoming obstacles, who are leading at an incredibly high level, who are gaining clarity in their lives. And we see this, friends, it is possible to live and lead right side up for the long haul without losing our souls in the meantime. And there are two ways that we primarily live that out at Stay Forth. The first one is coaching that helps leaders clarify. We are leadership coaches. We help leaders to be able to understand, to discern some of the obstacles in their leadership and some of the next steps that they can take. And then we hold leaders accountable. We get to watch leaders grow into the influence that God has designed them for. And we're seeing some incredible things happen. Not just leaders accomplishing incredible things, the what in their life, but becoming incredible people, the who in their life. The second thing that we do at Stay Fort Designs is we host experiences that help leaders to replenish. We are tired in this season. Leadership is hard. It's challenging for people to want something from you all the time, whether you are a mom or a CEO or you lead a nonprofit or you're a pastor in a local church, you're a podcaster, you're an online influencer. That is hard for people to have expectations of you. We create these four-day experiences where we serve you. You come, you don't lift a finger. We go to beautiful places. We pair you with like-minded, like-hearted leaders We have great conversations, and oh yeah, we have fun and really good food along the way. Those experiences are an incredible time. You'll continue to hear about those here on the podcast. The coaching is helping leaders to win, to become the people God has designed them to be so they can do the things God has designed them to do. Guys, we are seeing incredible things happening. If you are interested in coaching to help you clarify in this next season, what steps you're going to take, and then to be on the path to take those. One of our coaches can get a free breakthrough session with you. Our coaches come in from Zoom all over the country, and we have some incredible leaders that we can match and pair with you and with your needs. And if you are interested in an experience, head on over to stayforth.com, click on the experiences tab or click on the coaching tab. You can see a little bit more what's behind that. Go ahead and just send us an intro email. Tell us about the kind of coaching or experience that you desire and we will let you know when that becomes available for an experience, and we will connect you with the right coach, and you get a free breakthrough coaching session to be able to clarify some of the things going on in your life and leadership right now. Friends, we are more than a podcast here at the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. We have all kinds of other things, including a Right Side Up community, including our Right Side Up journal. We have an email we send every single Tuesday called Tuesday Tune-Up with practical next steps. You can find information on that in the show notes below. We're going to continue to host conversations about health and impact at the collision or the intersection of the spiritual and the practical. Friends, who you are matters more than what you do. We want to help you steward the life God has given you the things you are designed to do. But in order to do that, 
You need to figure out who you are and who God has designed you to do. We're going to continue to have these conversations right here on the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Now, on with this episode. Well, Jordan, here we are again. Congrats on another book, my man. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for uh, having me back. Wild times the last time we were talking. We were processing and it feels like about a decade ago, but turns out a year and a half ago uh, when you launched Master of None. uh, Just love chatting with you, man. Love the way you think. uh, Love the way you connect different principles. Like likewise, I I loved you know you you get on the podcast circuit you just do these over and over and over again. There's a handful you remember. Uh, this was one of them, Alan. So I'm 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 excited to be back. I received that man. I'm never going to ask you the same <laughs> question. Like it's no fun if we don't keep you guessing. Come on. So no, we have to. No, it's not fun at all. Yeah, we we have to um, kind of add. I may even add a lightning round at the end. We'll see what happens today. Today's going to get it. today's going to get crazy. But first of all, man, congrats. <laughs> Book launch Thanks. week. So we hope this is going yeah. out to to many people over the airwaves and, and across the world. First of all, contests going on. We love us some contests yeah. here. People want to win a trip to the Holy Land. Got a couple more days to do that. What's going on with that? All right. So this book, this new book, Redeeming Your Time, is all about how do we walk like Jesus walked in the first century. Today, in the 21st century, as we seek to steward our time. And so since the book is all about walking like Jesus walked, we're like, yeah, let's give away a trip for somebody and the guests of their choice to go walk where Jesus walked. So we're giving away an eight day epic tour of the Holy land uh, to one person who pre-orders the book or orders the book between today and October 23rd. Um, you're going to hear a lot more about the book. I'm sure in this conversation, but it's a pretty epic trip. You get three years to book it. Cause I know I'm not even comfortable traveling internationally right now. I know it's a deal if that's still not your cup of tea, I'll just write you a check for $5,000, whatever you want. Uh, but just want to give an over-the-top reason for people to tune in, hear this content that I think can be radical and helping us all be more purposeful, present, and productive, just like Jesus was in his limited 33 years here on earth. Mm, that's good, man. Um, time. Responsibilities. Yeah. You're doing a lot. So you don't speak from a space yeah. of you know, sitting in an ivory tower and just making sure that we only work one day a week. This is not the space that you're in. And guys, um, go ahead and look at Jordan's bio. You get a little bit dizzy, just checking it out, wondering, you know, how many weeks are actually packed into your week. So you do a lot. We'll just start there. Um, Before we'll talk about time management, maybe even energy, living like Jesus, walking like Jesus. Why don't you start with sharing a season in your life, Jordan, where you were overwhelmed, maybe even swamped and how you yeah, got there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. So, um, I'm a busy guy. I, I think probably five or so years ago was a particularly overwhelming season, right? You know, I was running a very well-funded tech startup as its CEO. We were growing, you know, 50% a quarter. Uh, my first book was coming out, right? I had a baby at home uh, responsibilities at church. And yeah, man, it's a lot. And in that season and in other seasons, really throughout my whole career, I've always just had this deep seated desire to manage my time. Well, I think this is part of the response of the gospel. I think this is what Paul's saying in Ephesians 
516, where the phrase redeeming your time comes from, right? So I've always cared really deeply about this topic. I've read 40-ish books on time management, all the perennial bestsellers in this category. And I love these books. Listen, like I love my friend Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. I love Getting Things Done by David Allen. I love all (laughs) of them. But I've always had two major problems with books in this genre. You know, first, um, they are all based on what I would call workspace productivity, right? The message is, hey, you're feeling swamped in this season of life. You're feeling overwhelmed. Follow my system do steps X, Y, and Z, and then you will find peace. As a Christ follower, I believe I already have peace. I have ultimate peace. I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Uh, And so, yeah, I do time management exercises, and I care deeply about redeeming my time, but not in order to get peace. I do it in response to the peace that has already been graciously given to me. And I just think that's a radically different foundation. Uh, to build a book upon. Here's a second problem I have with most time management books, Alan. Uh, you know, I have never read a time management book that accounted for how the author of time managed his time when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. This is mind boggling to me. And listen, the gospel biographies don't show Jesus with a to-do list for a calendar, but they do show him dealing with distractions at work and fighting for solitude and seeking to be busy without being hurried, all the same things we're struggling with today. And so in this book, what I've done is I basically said, all right, let's read the gospels for what they are, biographies of the life of Christ, and let's extract these seven timeless time management principles from the life of Christ and map them to 30 plus hyper-practical practices that can help us be purposeful, present, and productive, just like Jesus today in our modern context. Purposeful, present, productive. I don't know a leader that doesn't want that. And all day long, people are coming to us, right? Asking those questions. Um, Give a quick overview of those three and why you chose those three three P's to focus on. Yeah, because listen, I I don't think we all just want to be productive productive at work. I think we want to be fully present and productive at home. And we don't just want to be productive. We want to be productive towards very specific aims. Hence the need for purposefulness. And these things are connected, right? It's impossible to be wildly productive without being fully present with one important person or task at a time. And it's impossible to be productive without being purposeful, right? Otherwise you're just being, you're scattering all your energy in a million different directions. Uh, So aside from the fact that it's just great Southern Baptist alliteration, uh, (laughs) I just thought that that's that's what every leader wants. It's what I have always wanted to be purposeful, present, wildly productive, but in a way that is not, um, in a way that that balances this need to be busy without being hurried. And that's kind of the conclusion of the book, kind of the, the ultimate uh, final chapters. How do we do that? How do we be purposeful, present, productive, while being really busy without being hurried? Definitely a nod to my friend John Mark Comer and his great book on this topic. Um, yeah, so that's the gist of the book, man. All right, man. Got to split hairs there. What's the difference yeah, between busy oh, man. and hurried? Thank you for asking. Because I think the difference is everything. I already mentioned uh, John Mark's great book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I love the book. But listen, I know a lot of leaders who didn't pick it up because 
there's not enough nuance in the title. I've heard a lot of leaders say, Jordan, I like being productive. I like being busy. Uh, and I think what's what's critical to understand, and John Mark does make this case in his book, is the distinction between busyness and hurry. Being busy is an outward condition, right? It's a condition of the body. It's me moving from meeting to meeting, having a lot of things to do with my kids, et cetera. Hurry is this inner condition this condition of the soul, right? And when you look at the gospels, Jesus was crazy busy. One time his family even said he was out of his mind. They thought he was out of his mind. He was so busy, but he was never busy in a way that made him angry or anxious or frantic, right? That I think is the line between busy and hurried. So to make this really practical, I'm busy when I got a lot of meetings and podcast interviews on my calendar. I know I've crossed over to hurry when those meetings are scheduled back to back and I'm sprinting between one and the next. And I have no time to look somebody else in the eye or hear my own thoughts or listen to the Holy Spirit working within me. Busyness is when I got a lot of errands to run on a Saturday. Hurry is when I get pissed off about choosing lane three instead of lane four at the grocery store because I can't afford to lose 30 seconds of my day, right? Yeah. That's the difference here. So we got to, as leaders, embrace productive busyness. But as John Mark and Dallas Willard said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives because it's soul crushing, soul sucking. Mm. Can you give me a, a couple of top reasons why you believe so many leaders are overwhelmed today? I think the biggest reason is we have not given our time to a big enough yes, a big mm. enough goal, right? Wow. Um, it is really hard to say no to things when you're just not that inspired by what you're saying yes to and the mm. size of the goals that you've set in front of you. That's good. Right? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I think there's a lot of other reasons, but man, that's a big one. You know, we all Huge. complain about not being able to say no, I think if we spent a lot more time on saying yes to the right things, we would be having this conversation a lot less. Mm, that's good. We have created a resource companion tool called the Right Side Up Journal. And we have people declare at the top, I mean, it's sitting open on my desk, the purpose of each day. Everything else yeah. is anchored into that. This conversation with you is anchored into that, right? And to help yeah. leaders hear the message of your book. But if it's not connected to that, then I'm simply not going to do it today. There's a junk drawer days. Don't get me wrong. We need those. Um, but it's interesting that you say that because that has been the hardest thing is for people to reorient around a bigger yes. And then you see how everything contributes 2% to that in the right direction of momentum. Look, look at the Gospels. One of the questions I love that Jesus asked frequently, uh, especially when he was about to heal somebody, he would ask, what do you want? What do you want? And as leaders, especially really successful leaders that have a lot of options, I actually think this is the hardest thing to get right. And we just don't spend a lot of time really sinking our teeth into that question of what we want for each of our roles in life. And thus, we get sucked into the thick of thin things, right? And, and overwhelmed and constantly saying yes to everything because we don't have a burning yes, as David Brooks puts it, right? We don't have this intense inner desire that's bringing uh, forced clarity to everything else. Mm. What do you think makes someone productive? What do I think makes someone productive? I, you know, I think first getting clear on 
what you're being productive for, going back to what we were just talking mm-hmm. about, right? Getting really clear on what you're saying yes to and what those big, hairy, audacious long-term goals are. And then listen, I think there's a lot of things that contribute to being productive towards those goals. You know, just to rattle off a few, I think number one, the most productive people make it a habit to dissent from the kingdom of noise. They have learned to embrace silence and solitude, which is prerequisite to being able to think clearly and be creative and listen to God's voice. Uh, I think the most productive people have embraced productive rest, ironically, right? Like I I think the world's truly productive people understand that rest is uh, one of the most productive things that they could possibly do within its weekly Sabbath. Oh my gosh, let's go there. Productive, Productive rest. Love that phrase. Tell me more. Yeah. So listen, Jesus exhibited, again, if you accept that Jesus was the most productive person who ever walked the earth, right? Look at the gospel biographies. He invited his disciples to rest during their busy days. He fought for sleep. He was sleeping on a freaking boat for crying out loud, right? He observed and celebrated the Sabbath, right? And don't just look at the life of Jesus. Look at the phenomenal amount of scientific data, which shows that these three rhythms of rest are counterintuitively productive. And just to be explicit, here are the three rhythms I talk about in the book. Number one, bi-hourly breaks, B-I hyphen hourly breaks, right? I'm sure a lot of our listeners are fans of deep work, totally focused work throughout the day, 90-minute blocks, et cetera. What what doctors will tell you is that your body, after a 90-minute block of deep work, is screaming for a break because your body pulses in what are called ultradian cycles of energy right? So yeah, you focus on recording a podcast for 90 minutes or writing a proposal, whatever. And then if you rest, take a truly restful break for 15 to 30 minutes, you're going to be far more effective and productive in that next, uh, that next block. So that's rhythm number one. Rhythm number two, unsurprisingly, is nightly sleep. Uh, and then rhythm number three is weekly Sabbath. There is an increasing amount of evidence that shows that Sabbath is not just productive for our souls, it's also productive for our goals. Look at Chick-fil-A, right? Chick-fil-A is such a great modern example of this in the world of business. When Chick-fil-A started out, they had a really hard time getting placed in malls because the mall landlords are like, this is crazy. You cannot close one day a week. Well, now we see the Chick-fil-A's by far, by far the most productive tenant in these malls, even though they're closed one day a week, right? And malls are clamoring to have them in their in their locations, right? Uh, it's just one of many, many examples that shows that Sabbath, sleep, and these bi-hourly breaks are productive for our goals and our souls. Don't you love when science backs up what we've seen in scripture? I know, right? All these studies, a yeah. uh, couple, of, couple of books, love to hear your take on uh, Rest by Alex Pang. You read that one? I've never read it. No. Okay. So lots of talk on the breaks, even the uh, different scheduling patterns, scheduling as a lark, as a night owl. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. How people in history would take intense, you know, very focused times, really kind of backing up Cal Newport's work in deep work and then correspondence, letter writing, ours today, email in the afternoon, breaks, walks, naps, all the things. Um, my favorite yeah. t-shirt, by the way, um, live like Jesus, Jesus took naps. So I want to say <laughs> I'm living like my master. 
when I, there you go. Couch is right over here. So looking forward to that a little bit later on. Um, (laughs) Why we sleep. Have you heard of the book? Why we sleep. I'm a huge fan of Dr. Matthew Walker's work, uh, including his book, why we sleep. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I cite it extensively in this chapter of redeeming your time. Yeah. A couple of the biggest takeaways from that besides you should sleep. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the biggest one for me. So he, he outlines a lot of the scary side effects of a lack of sleep, right? It doubles your risk for some forms of cancer, right? It's just one of them. But what I find more motivating is the positive side effects of good sleep. Right. And in the book, I outline a few of them. One of them, and I think this one's especially important for leaders sleep helps us make creative connections between information that we input that we took throughout the day. I'll give you a great example of this, my favorite story. Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones would sleep with a guitar and a tape recorder next to his bed so that if in the middle of the night, he woke up and he was inspired. He could, you know, riff on his guitar, record it, and then the next morning he'd write a song. So one night, he goes to sleep in Clearwater, Florida, right down the street from me in Tampa. And he wakes up the next morning, and the tape recorder had run all the way to the end. And he's like, that's bizarre. I don't, I don't remember getting up and recording anything. And so he rewinds the tape, and it goes to the very beginning. And in his sleep, totally unconsciously, he wrote the first verse and chorus of Satisfaction, the Rolling Stones' arguably biggest song of all time, right? It's a fun story, but listen, there's a ton of data that I outline in the book that shows that that is not a unique instance. When we sleep, we make creative connections, we solve problems uh, that we try to do with our conscious minds throughout the day, we solve them when we sleep. Uh, and it's why it's one of the many reasons why leaders in particular got to be fighting for eight hour sleep opportunities every single night. Yeah, man, so much practical stuff in there. Uh, sometimes, we, sometimes we need to sit by a whiteboard and just geek out on time management because to me, what's below it, right? I'm with you. There's so many books on that, but if we can look at what's yeah. below it, effectiveness versus efficiency. How do we do the right things that are anchored in meaning and purpose? So much good stuff here. We're just skimming the surface. Talk about this tension that we live in, especially as leaders between rest and ambition. Yeah. 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 So in the book, I argue that the gospel of Jesus Christ is both our ultimate source of rest and ambition. And um, I think I think a story from my relationship with my kids illustrates this probably best. I, I've, I've got young kids. I have a, three girls, seven, five, and almost two. And every single night without fail, before I put them in bed, last thing I say to them, I look them in the eyes and say, hey, girls, you know daddy loves you no matter how many bad things you do, no matter, no matter how many times you disobey me today? And I say, yeah. I was like, you know, I also love you no matter how many good things you do? And they say, yeah. I say, who else loves you like that? And they say, Jesus. Or my five-year-old theological stickler says, God the Father, God the Son, uh, and, and God the Holy Spirit, which I just love. But here's the deal. We've got, as leaders especially, we have to hear those words spoken over our work and our attempts to be productive. Mm. God died for you when you were his enemy. 
He loves you regardless of how productive or unproductive you are. That's how the gospel enables us to rest. But it's also the source of our ambition, right? Because once we understand that, we want to be productive for the Father's agenda, not because we need to, not because we think we're going to earn any more of his favor, but because we just want to make our Heavenly Father proud, and we love him, and we want to be productive as a response of worship, right? So in a nutshell, that's what I'm saying when I'm saying the gospels are a source of both rest and ambition, Alan. So good. One of my favorite things to say to a leader in a coaching session is to remind them that you work from identity, not for it, that you've already got all the value you need. How cool that we also get from that workmanship called into good work. How cool when those align. Maybe not perfectly, maybe not always, maybe not 100% of the moments in your day. And secondly, what I hear in, in that description is stewardship and the totally. anxiety of ownership versus the joy of stewardship is completely different. Paths. It's a, listen, it's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reminds us that we are saved apart from works by faith alone so that no one can boast. But we always leave out verse 10. Verse 10 is so critical, right? 8 and 9 give us the peace. 8 and 9 Come gives on. us the rest. We're Bring saved 10. apart from whatever we do. Bring 10. Bring 10. We are saved, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which the Father prepared in advance for us to do. And by the way, people hear that and say, oh, Jordan, well, we're saved for good works. Good works means uh, evangelism and giving money to the poor. And yes, it does mean that. But go look in your concordance. Mine says that that word, that Greek word, aragon, that we translate to good works, means, quote, work, task, and employment, right? You are saved. The very purpose of your salvation is not so that you would sit back and consume until eternity. It's to go out and to create good work, good work in the world, in excellence and love that brings glory to the Father. Boom. Now you're preaching, man. You are preaching. Hey, let's, let's go. Let's do it. I love this phrase, descent from the kingdom of noise. You said it earlier. You thread it yeah. throughout this book. What do you mean by this phrase? Yeah. And yeah. how must we live into this descent in the 21st century? Yeah. Oh, man, this is so important. This has probably been the, the favorite chapter uh, for advanced readers, but I stole this phrase uh, from C.S. Lewis. So in Screwtape Letters, his fictional devil screw tape said that he would make the world a kingdom of noise in order to stop God's people from being effective. Lewis wrote that 75 years wow. ago, right? Holy uh, it sounds like he's writing it. Yeah. Exactly. We're living in a time of unprecedented noise. I don't have to say this, right? And here's the deal, right? Like I'm not primarily referring to the obvious increase in external noise created by, you know, nonstop news, entertainment, the buzzing of our device or whatever. I'm primarily referring to what all of that external noise creates, right? This internal noise that blocks our ability to think and be creative and listen to the voice of God. And, and listen, let's, let's bring all of this back to the life of Christ. When you read the gospel biographies, one of the things that jumps off the page is Jesus spent a staggering amount of time in lonely places, or what the gospels sometimes translate as solitary places. Go look at Luke, Luke chapter four through six in one and a half chapters. Luke mentions Jesus's love of lonely places three times, right? 
if we want to steward our time, if we want to redeem our time in the model of our redeemer, we have got to cultivate this habit of dissenting from the kingdom of noise. I, I mentioned before, there's seven principles. This is one of them. 32 practices to help us live out those principles. In this chapter alone, I've got nine of those 32 practices because we need a ton of help to this end to turn down the noise so we can hear ourselves think and most importantly, listen to the voice of God. So I want to hear what's been helpful for you. Maybe you've started uh, to do over the last few years uh, in order to dissent. And then we'd love to hear what you've stopped doing in order to dissent. So it's funny. I love you're very wise to structure the question that way because the practices, these nine practices in this chapter are structured around things to stop doing, things to start doing. Uh, so I'll, one thing I've, let me start with what I've stopped doing. Cause I think we got to turn down the noise in order to listen yeah, to our own thoughts uh, and hear the voice of God. So the one thing I've stopped doing about six years ago, I stopped reading the news, consuming news in any format, period. I read no news websites. I listen to no news podcasts, no news emails, zero zilch nada. Uh, and here's the beautiful thing. Um, and gosh, Alan, I wish somebody had told me this before. I'm not ignorant at all about what's going on in the world because my friends curate the news for me. I didn't even ask them to do this, but this is a bizarre form of delegation. I hear about everything that matters in my life. When Tim Keller, my favorite author, tweeted that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, eight of my friends texted me the news within 10 minutes of the news being posted on Twitter. I hear about pandemics and hurricanes and race riots and media trends. Uh, And I hear about all these things without having to spend a minute on social media or news websites because my friends curated it for me. So that's been a huge thing I've just stopped doing. I refuse to read or listen to the news. Um, Now, I have a lot more solitude. I have a lot more silence in my life. So what I've done, what I've started doing more of in order to listen to my own thoughts, in order to embrace uh, this descent from the kingdom of noise, um, and I've just been walking and running a heck of a lot more over the last five years, uh, Not with, with nothing playing in my ears. I have my AirPods in, but basically just so I don't look like a freak who's running down the road with nothing playing in his ears. Uh, but I'm not listening to anything. I'm just listening to my own thoughts. I'm making creative connections. I'm praying, right? Uh, I've been doing a lot more of that in the most productive season of my life. Mm, so good. Um, depth problem. You talk about this depth problem we have in our culture right now. What are a few enemies of that fight for depth? Man, so much. And and listen, uh, Cal Newport, who we've mentioned a few times, uh, who, whose work I loved in deep work. Um, I extended Cal's definition of, of deep work to just a deep life uh, in the book. And thankfully, Cal is really appreciative of that, right? Like we, I define depth as the ability to be fully focused on one important task or person at a time. And when you look at the gospels, man, Jesus had so many distractions, right? And yet he consistently modeled this ability to be all in fully focused on one important person thing at a time. But yeah, in our modern day and age, we have a lot of enemies in our fight for depth. You know, the first one, most obvious one is external distractions, our devices, whatever. But listen, I think we're a little too hard on these things. It's so easy to criticize smartphones and social media. The device I think we got to deal with 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on internally, right, that is blocking us from depth. I think the temptation to do fake productivity rather than real hard work. I think our, oh, our, you our got, savior- oh, You can't just glance over that. Yeah. What is fake okay, productivity? All right. Let's go there. Fake productivity is spending all day checking emails or spending all day going to meetings that you know are just not meaningful. Here's the oh, deal. Punch that me work, That work is so much easier to do than sitting your butt in a chair and writing something great or producing something great or programming a line of great code for two hours. It's so much easier to look productive than it is to actually be productive. I just think we got to be cognizant of that. And the temptation in our deprived, in our, in our fallen state to just opt for the easy path rather than the path that's actually going to do good works for others. So that's what I mean by fake productivity. Mm-hmm. I think it's very real. I'll leave you with one more enemy in our fight for death, Alan. Um, just our own internal savior complex. You know, I think a lot of times we love the very things we complain about nonstop emails, nonstop text messages, because they make us feel like we are something we are needed. That if we turn our phone off or shut down our email so we can do great work, the world's just going to fall apart around. It's arrogant. It's a savior complex. Uh, and it's just untrue. And, and the most productive leaders I know have learned this, have the humility to know that I can turn this thing off. The world's going to keep on spinning and I'm going to do better works, more good works for other people. I'll give you a good example. My friend, Ronnie Andrews, CEO of a public company. Ronnie keeps his cell phone off, off, not even your phone, just off from Friday night until Monday morning. He's been doing this for years. I was like, Ronnie, how many truly urgent things did you miss? Not a single one. Not a single one. Right. He he has the humility that recognizes he's not the savior of his company. He's not the savior of his world. And it's enabling him to build a great public company that does more good works for other people. It's good. Maybe even empowering him in that. Man, it's so good. Now is the moment we've been waiting for the lightning round where you barely have time to think before it. we just pull it right out of your mouth. It's been a great right, conversation, let's Jordan. Let's let's continue it. Um, seems to me like you are in process of maybe have already become a no man. What are some things you've said no to in the last year? Travel. Uh, even though travel's coming back, uh, I am just saying no, because I know it's not the highest level of use of my time. Even speaking to big conferences, I'm just by and large saying no to all those requests. All right. A couple of little things that you've said yes to that have added depth to your life running one gift under a hundred dollars somebody has given you that you'll never forget wow that's such a good question um my friend carrie newhoff i don't know why i'll never forget i'll never forget because i wear it every day uh he sent me this like incredibly nice sweater that was like made in toronto after i was on his podcast and sometimes you're on podcasts and people send you like I don't know, branded gifts, whatever. So, but this like wasn't branded, Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It was just a great sweater. And I wear it every single morning when I study the word. So good. So good. Your morning sweater. I love that. 
Here's a shout I'm out. Not to the, Carrie doesn't Hoff, even know this, but the I don't even think Carrie knows this, by the way. Yeah. Carrie, yeah. the sweater gets worn every morning. We had Carrie and Tony on, on the podcast. Uh, the book yeah. you've read that you wish you would have written. Such a good question. Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. So, so good. good. I basically rewrote it as one seventh of this book, uh, <laughs> shamelessly. And I emailed John Mark. I was like, hey, FYI, stealing this. And he's like, yeah, I stole it from Dallas Willard. Like, who cares? Like, of course you should steal this. I love it. <laughs> steal well, give credit. Awesome. Thank you, John Mark. Yeah, that's right. Uh, a moment from this summer with your family that you'll never forget. These are amazing questions. I'm going to steal these from my own podcast. Um, we took the kids to Rhode Island and Maine this past summer. Uh, and yeah, it was just a great, I don't know that there was any one moment, but something about being in the Northeast in gorgeous summer weather. I don't think I'll ever forget that with my kids. It was a great time of connection and a very busy season of life. A kind of wacky, crazy career that you kind of wish you would have tried. Oh man. So I think the greatest job in the world uh, is official White House photographer. You get to be in the room where it happens 100% of the time and you have no responsibility. You literally, you literally sit back and take pictures and you're a fly on the wall. Uh, I think it's a great gig. One productivity tool, digital or analog, that's changed your life. Easy. Oh my gosh. Easiest one ever. Uh, it's a product called OmniFocus that I use as my personal commitment tracking system, which I teach in chapter two of the book. Uh, I think I paid a hundred dollars for the piece of software. Who I would have paid 10, a hundred times that it's the greatest product I've ever used. Mm. Other than your Toronto Newhoff sweater, a piece of clothing <laughs> that you absolutely love. My very Florida man boat shoes. Boat shoes. Every day. Love it. Hey, when in yeah. Tampa, when in Tampa, you've got. When in Tampa. That's right. We, 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 if we're going to do a big, we're going to do a big in Tampa. Yeah. Um, something that someone has told you an affirmation that you will never forget. Easy. Uh, I was in transition, selling my second business, thinking about starting another one, was also considering starting a church. And I had a godly mentor come to me and basically say, why in the world are you thinking about starting a church? <laughs> Which took me by surprise. Said, Don't you get that your work as an entrepreneur is ministry, is a means of doing good works for others. And that moment changed my life. Mm. Last question to the discouraged overwhelmed or stuck leader some words you want to leave them with thank you for asking me this william wilberforce if your audience doesn't know easily one of the most productive people to ever walk the earth uh he is credited as basically you know no big deal abolishing the slave trade no big throughout the british empire in 1807 no biggie but by his own admission uh 
when he came to faith in Christ at the age of 26, he said he was an undisciplined mess, constitutionally weak with regards to self-discipline. And yet he became one of the most productive people who has ever walked the earth. So there's hope for all of us, anyone. If William Wilberforce can learn how to be disciplined and redeem his time, uh, you can too. Take heart in that, take encouragement in the life of Wilberforce. Mm, amazing. Jordan, always great to chat with you. Congrats on your new book. And I look forward to you, I don't know, huffing and puffing your way up a mountain here in Colorado with me at some point in the future, maybe share <laughs> a cup of Joe. Keep yeah, up amazing. the great work. Thanks, Alan.